All right. Lord, we thank you for this night. Y'all disagree with me. Father, there's a lot of people that hear these messages. And Lord, we just pray that the blood of Jesus be over this word tonight. And we ask you, Father, that your spirit would fill and brood over the preaching and teaching of the word in every life that's going to be hearing this, both now and in the future. And Lord, I ask you to anoint people's eyes and ears that they'll be able to see and hear and perceive spiritually what you're speaking. Lord, that you would give people good fertile soil of hearts and minds and lives so that as the word of God goes forth, it'll fall on good soil. And it'll be seed sown in a good soil. And let the Holy Spirit, Father, water that seed that it'll take root in people. And it will grow and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains. And Lord, I ask you to speak through me in glory and power and strong anointing. And let your word go forth and accomplish that which you sent it forth to do. And I ask, Father, that your spirit would rest so strong on this sermon time that people would be captivated and locked in to receive and focus and be able to really receive everything that you have for them. That their minds will, will be able to be locked into what you're speaking, their eyes locked into what you're showing them. And Lord, I thank you for it. And we bless you in Jesus' mighty name. Wow. It's a thick, thick presence of the Lord here, isn't it? It's really humbling to be in God's presence like this. But anyway, I want to continue teaching on a series. Um, this is Actually, there's only going to be two parts. The Lord last week had me preach part one. And, man, there was a lot the Lord put on my heart. But I tell you, last week was powerful. I had a tremendous amount of positive feedback from people. And I know it helps a lot of people. But what I'm dealing with in this, I'm dealing with a spirit of whoredoms. And I'm dealing with a demonic spirit that oppresses people. Last week I started it. This week I'm going to continue. And what a spirit of whoredoms is, and I want everybody to really get this, when you're dealing with a spirit of whoredoms, this is, this is not as powerful as something like Leviathan or Jezebel spirit um, or an Antichrist spirit or something like that. It's not on that level, but it will operate underneath them. And what a lot of people don't understand is that you have to get the strong man dealt with. Otherwise, you're not going to plunder his goods. And that's why a lot of people will not get the breakthrough that they're after. You know, they'll be after a breakthrough, whether it be about healing or a, a deliverance in their life that seems to be stubborn or, or a financial need or, or something that they're really praying about. And they pray, and I promise you that God hears their prayers. It's, that's not the matter of, of whether or not God hears it or not. That's not the issue. God hears our prayers. But what the problem is, is sometimes there's a stubborn spirit that's there. And unless you bind the strong man and get a breakthrough, then you're going to continually deal with that stuff until you do. And Jesus taught us all about spiritual warfare. He's the one that taught about binding the strong man in the first place. So, as you're going down through this, you'll, you may, God may start showing you, for example, an area of pride. And once you really deal with that, you get a breakthrough from like Leviathan. And then underneath that, there'll now be a strong man, maybe of something like Hortums. And once you deal with that and get that bound, that'll break off. And then there'll be things underneath that that maybe need to be dealt with. But I feel that, that different people are dealing with some issues that later 
Pastor Jeff touched on it last night. I felt to pray with people tonight about rejection and an orphan spirit. And what I felt was that the reason why people have not had a breakthrough in the past is because they didn't bind the strong man. And since we've been going through the Seductions of Satan series I did, and going through some sermons like this, it's dealing in people's lives with a strong man, and they're getting a breakthrough to where now stubborn things are starting to open up. Amen? All right. So the passage of Scripture I want to focus on is Hosea 4.12. And I gave a different version this time because I wanted you to see this. It says, My people consult their wooden idol, and their diviner's wand informs them. For a spirit of harlotry, or a spirit of whoredoms, has led them astray, and they have played the harlot, departing from their God. And so what I dealt with last week was I dealt with being unfaithful to God and unfaithful to people. There, you know, there's people that deal with being unfaithful to God because you'll see their lives. They have a lot of idols in their lives. They seem to be up and down. They, they backslide a lot. They get frustrated. And because of their frustration, they may go out and get out of church for a while. They may go out and get drunk. You know, whatever it is. And, or just continual sin in their life. And that is an unfaithfulness toward God. And some people literally have a spirit of whoredoms about them where it's, it's a compulsive drive in their life of unfaithfulness. They have a very difficult time remaining faithful and loyal and dependable to God. And I've seen it in people. And sometimes you say, well, how did that get in? It may have got in just from continually backsliding in their own life or it may have come in through the family. Their family might have a history of unfaithfulness, adulterous affairs, and just different things. And it's, and it's allowed that spirit of whoredoms in. And once that thing gets in, I'm telling you, it can really be a bondage. All right, the second thing, you'll see a spirit of whoredoms manifest in people's lives with their unfaithfulness to God. That's number one. Number two is their unfaithfulness to people. They have a difficulty remaining faithful and loyal to people. And we talked about a lot of different things, but in that... You'll see betrayals. People that maybe they were once loyal to another person, but now they got upset about something. Somebody didn't handle something the way they wanted them to. So now they have betrayed them, and now they are speaking against them. They're trying to undermine their character. You know, they're trying to demean them. They may be not only slandering them, but even sharing secrets that that person confided in them, that now they're openly sharing those things to try to humiliate the person and trying to hurt them and get back at them. And that, that is a disloyal, unfaithful spirit of whoredoms. And I just happened to watch a, a show today, and in this show it was a perfect example of what I was talking about because there was a lady in the show who, because she was deaf, that there was a guy that she worked with that thought that she wouldn't be able to handle the job. And so he was always very negative about her. And he went behind her back to the boss and was trying to make her look like somebody that needed to be fired, that she couldn't handle it, she wasn't pulling her own weight. Well, this person, because she's deaf, she could read lips. And so she saw from a distance that the manager was telling somebody else that he was actually going to fire the guy that was running her down because he was a disloyal, unfaithful person that he couldn't depend on. And listen to how loyal and faithful she was in the show. It was a perfect example of what I'm talking about. 
she went, she saw this and wasn't even supposed to see it, but she went to the boss in private and convinced that boss to let him stay because she said he was still a good member of their team and was a great benefit. And that's what I'm talking about. You can see that the one person was disloyal and unfaithful. He was a backstabber. But the other person, even whenever they were being betrayed, was still remaining loyal and faithful to their team. Isn't that something? That's a good example of what I'm talking about. And then I got into, this is where I closed and where I want to pick up. But I talked about some examples. You remember how Abraham and Lot parted ways. And Lot should have remained faithful and loyal to Abraham. It was very foolish. But he was willing to disconnect with Abraham and he took the better fields. He saw the better fields. It was the fields of Sodom. But when he took those fields and left Abraham, they disconnected, they parted ways, and Lot, his life, he ended up losing everything, but Abraham still inherited the promise. And if Lot would have remained faithful to Abraham, he would have been there when the promise of God was fulfilled, and he would have received everything that Abraham received. But because they parted ways and Lot was not loyal and faithful and stayed connected with Abraham, because he was willing to part ways, he lost everything, literally. And let me tell you, and just re-emphasize to you, that God makes covenants with individual people. He does not make covenants with organizations, people, groups, or denominations. He makes covenants with individual people. And when there's, when there's somebody that is, has got a call and a mantle, and God has brought people to them, and it's a covenant relationship, just like Abraham with Lot, it's important that you stay with that covenant relationship and stay connected all the way through to the promise, to the, whatever you want to call it, the promised land, inheriting whatever it is God said He would do. Because if you don't, and you disconnect, you can miss out on everything that God had for you through that mantle. And the same thing with Elijah and Elisha, except that you see that Elisha handled it completely different. Elisha was willing to remain faithful and loyal to Elijah through Gilgal, which is dead religion, into Bethel, which is revival. And how many knows you can lose people when you start having revival? And then he remained faithful from Bethel to Jericho. Jericho represents tremendous spiritual warfare. And you can definitely lose people in spiritual warfare. And then he remained faithful from Jericho to the Jordan. The Jordan is a place in the Bible that speaks of death and resurrection. So it represents a dying to the old and a resurrecting into the new. And Elisha stayed faithful to Elijah all the way to the Jordan where there was a death of the old and he inherited a new mantle. But he stayed so loyal and faithful he was actually there when Elijah was taken up. See, many people would have left a long time ago. In fact, I gave the scripture last week about how Elijah's first servant left him during the time of Jezebel's attacks. And you can read about it. it he said he told his servant, just stay here. I'm going to go on. And the servant said, okay, that's fine with me. I'll just stay here. And he left him like, like Lot left Abraham. And he disconnected. And you never read anything about him again. And the same thing could have happened to Elisha, but because he stuck with Elijah... He inherited the promise when it was all said and done. And Elisha got a double portion of that anointing. But we know the story of Gehazi. Gehazi was Elisha's servant. And so Gehazi should have inherited Elisha's mantle. 
And if he would have remained loyal and faithful, he could have said the same thing to Elisha at the end of his life and said, Elisha, I want to inherit a double portion of what you got. But instead, he was unfaithful and disloyal because Elisha told Naaman when he came, God has healed you of leprosy, but I don't want any of your money. Just go on your way in peace. And Gehazi had that greed in his heart and he went running after that money. And because of that, it, it was an unfaithful act to God and it was an unfaithful, disloyal act to his spiritual father that that leprosy that left Naaman came on him and you never read about Gehazi again. I think sometimes we really need to take serious the, the things that we may consider little things can be big things. It can, it can literally swing your life to the left or right off of the very path that God has some of these decisions because Gehazi made a decision to go after that money and it was forbidden and when he did his life took an ugly turn you can also see loyalty in the life of Ruth she was a Moabite woman she in many ways was completely disconnected from the covenant of Israel that Israel had with God but when Naomi lived in Moab and lost her husband and her two sons Ruth was a, a little Moabite daughter-in-law and she was so loyal to her, her uh, I would say Naomi was her spiritual mom. Okay, I'm just going to say that. But she was so loyal to her spiritual mama. She said, wherever you go, I'm going. Your God is my God. And I will be, your people will be my people. I'm going with you. Now, the other daughter-in-law, Orpah, she left. But Ruth stayed with her. And if you read the story, it's a perfect example of what I'm talking about. Because she stayed loyal and faithful and connected to a woman of promise. Okay? She had a covenant with God and she had a promise on her life, obviously, that whenever she brought Ruth back with her, Ruth ended up marrying Boaz and literally that is in the bloodline of Jesus Christ. So this was a very significant thing that was going on. But if Ruth at any time would have left, she would have cut herself off from that destiny. Her life would have been completely different. I'm going to say a couple things and move quickly and then I want to park on the glory and in there, okay? But the Bible says in Jeremiah 17, 9 that the heart is deceitful above all things. It's desperately wicked. Who can know it? Did you know that your heart can deceive you? Many people are led by their own emotions and they think it's the Holy Ghost and it is not. They're led by their own personal lust and desires. Things within their heart. But see, the danger in this, number one, is discontentment. Discontentment is a sign of covetousness and idols in people. Discontentment is very serious. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 6, 6, But godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. Some people are always looking and grabbing for what they don't have, thinking it will bring them happiness. This is a sign of discontentment. I have seen people, and I want you all to hear me because this is important. I have seen people that they, they wanted a relationship, like a romantic relationship in their life, and they wanted it so bad. And I've seen where I knew in my heart it was not of God. I knew it wasn't. It was them. But they wanted it so bad. Other people knew it wasn't God. But they wanted it so bad 
that they convinced themselves that it was God and that they had prayed about it and they had heard from God and then they end up together and it's a, it's a complete and total catastrophe. I've seen it. See, this is where the heart is deceitful. It's deceitful. Because people start running after something and, they, and they've convinced themselves it's God and it's not God. It's them. You cannot be led by your own heart and your own emotions. You have to be led by the Spirit of God. And now, let me just say this in a way that I want to present this in, in the best possible way that I can because I want to honor men and women in the diversities. But I want you to see this. When God put the family structure together, He put the, the husband as the head of the home, He put the wife submitted to the husband, and then He put the children under their authority. There's such a wisdom there. And what you see with the children, it's so important that children honor and listen to their parents. Because if they don't, they're going to have a rough road ahead of them. And they'll have to learn everything the hard way. But God made women, and it's such a beautiful thing because God has put the capacity in women to be so loving and nurturing. That quite honestly, men just don't, don't have it, okay? But when children are little, and they're growing up, and they're, and they're really young, they need the nurture of a mother. And God put that in women. And you can even see when, when a little girl's growing up, she, you know, she'll go get her little doll, you know, and she's feeding her little doll, and it's just, it's in them to nurture, and they'll get a little pet or something, and they got their little kitty cat, and it's their little baby, you know, and they'll wrap it up and all that, and it's the cutest thing, but it's in them to nurture. Now, here's the thing, God has put men in an authority position, though, because men, a lot of times, are able to make decisions without being too emotional about it. That's why God didn't put that, I believe, in my opinion, that's why God didn't put that in men, because men are able to not get too emotional, and they can make a decision that's for the better of the family without being too emotionally tied up in things. Where the wife is feeling real emotional, really upset, or really afraid, or whatever, there's an emotion there. And so... I said that because a lot of times, all of us, men and women alike, we've got to learn that there's a big difference between being led by your own heart and your own emotions or being led by the Spirit of God. And a lot of times, now let me parallel this. The Bible says the church is the bride of Christ and Jesus is the husband, okay? A lot of times, all of us go through things here on the earth and we tend all of us male and female we tend to really be going through a difficult time and your emotions are all caught up in it but how many knows that jesus being an authority figure a husband figure can sit back and he's not all emotional about it if you'll really get alone with him and listen to him he'll tell you what to do you see what i'm saying but your emotions can get so caught up in things that if you're not careful you can make a decision that literally can alter the course of your life because who you marry that's huge Sometimes the jobs you take, where you go to church, what you do, all these things are huge. Where you live. Some people like Gehazi, they make decisions about where they live and all of that based on the money. 
But how many knows you don't need to be led by money, you need to be led by the Spirit of God. And I've seen people, I saw one person that became so discontent one time about where they were in life. It was where they were working. They became so discontent, they just wanted so bad out of that situation. That they had convinced themselves, and I was counseling this person, and I asked him, I said, did you pray about it? Did you hear from God? And they said, I have heard from God. And what do you say? I knew in my heart that it was a bad move. But they have convinced themselves, their heart... <laughs> had convinced themselves that it was God Almighty, that they had heard from God, and that they're going. So it's like, okay, it was a catastrophe. It was a catastrophe. The heart is deceitful, desperately wicked, who can know it? God knows it. And wisdom is to say, Lord, my heart may be wicked, but you're not wicked, and I want you to change my heart and help me to be led by your spirit, not by emotions or discontentment. Anytime you're making decisions out of discontentment, it's probably going to be a bad decision. But that has to do with being faithful and loyal to the Lord. Another thing to be careful about is the company that you keep. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good character or good morals. 1 Corinthians 15.33 Listen, you can be as loyal and faithful as the day is long, but if you start hanging around somebody that's that's a backstabber, and they're a slanderer. If you're not careful, it will rub off on you. So if in the Bible actually says in 1 Corinthians 5, with such a person, don't eat a meal. And one of the things that is mentioned is a slanderer. So with a slanderer, you're not even supposed to hang out with them and associate with them and eat a meal with them in the first place. And the reason that's in the Bible is because this type of disloyal unfaithfulness that I'm preaching about can rub off on other people. If you hang out with somebody like that. I've literally seen one person that I, I knew that this person was loyal. But I also knew that somebody they were in a very close relationship with. I knew that they were very disloyal. And sure enough, over a, a period of time, it took a couple of years. This person who was so loyal and so faithful ended up having their heart turned by the other. And they ended up betraying and stabbing some people in the back. That they never should have. It was a very bad move for that person. So you have to be careful. And let me add this in here. We all want our kids to have the advantage in life. Amen. We want them to not have to deal with the up and down. In and out. On fire for God one day. And, and, and messed up the next. God's grace is sufficient. Okay. But I'm speaking about Christian parents. I realize that this is not going to be for everybody. Because I know there's. There's some, some young people that you're in it. God will be with you and he'll help you. Okay? But let me just say this. A lot of times people, for the sake of convenience, are really putting their kids in some very bad situations. Number one, this is not really what I'm talking about, but let me give an example. For the sake of convenience, that's where abortion comes in. People don't want the inconvenience of raising a kid. And so they strap them to a satanic altar of convenience. And they offer them up like that. Now, let me say this too. I think sometimes people know how the public school system and how colleges are. And you need to be very careful. Because I know when I was raising Brianna that she, was, she loved the Lord. But there was a time because of public schools she really 
was trying to serve the Lord, but there was so much coming against her. And Sandy and I prayed about it, and I felt led to pull her out, and it's the best thing we ever did. And she's on fire for God doing good. But I'm going to tell you this. Don't put your kids on a satanic altar just because it's convenient. It's less convenient for you to have to put them in a school, like a Christian school, because it costs more money. It's less convenient for you to homeschool them. I understand that. You know, but don't put them out there like on an altar to the devil and strap them to it and stick them out there where they barely have a chance. And then whenever they, they're struggling and the spirit of whoredoms tries to grab a hold of them. You hear what I'm saying? I have a relative right now that basically made a career out of going to college. I don't even know how long he's been in college. But anyway, that's been his career for probably the last 10 years. But let me tell you this. He was raised in a Christian home. And right now, he's a professed atheist. Because he spent all those years listening to those Antichrist professors tear the Bible to shreds, tear everything he's ever believed in and learned to shreds, and try to get him to doubt God, to doubt the Bible, to doubt Jesus you know, being the Son of God, and just try to rip his faith to pieces. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Give him a chance. Put them in a situation, because you know, when people are growing up, it's one thing when somebody's an adult, and, and they're mature, and they know how to pray and all of that. But it's another thing when somebody's growing up, and they, they don't even really know that much about themselves. They're trying to find themselves and figure themselves out, you know, and to put them in a difficult situation. Now, to the young people that are in school, you don't necessarily have Christian parents. God will be with you, and he'll help you, okay? There's no excuse. We can live for Jesus in the most difficult situations. He'll help us. We have the Holy Ghost. Amen? So believe God and you will be fine. God will help you. And let me tell you another thing. The pure gospel, we've got to be faithful and loyal to the pure gospel and not produce false converts. It was so awesome because this is in my notes and some of the things Pastor Jeff talked about last night, I had already prepared for today. But false converts are people that basically believe that they're saved, they believe they're God's child, but on Judgment Day, it's in Matthew 7, the Bible says many, not a few, it said many will be there on Judgment Day and say to Jesus, Lord, in your name, we healed the sick, we cast out demons, you know, we did all these things, and Jesus is going to say, depart from me, you worker of iniquity, I never knew you, and they're going to be in hell. Now, some of that is false converts, and some of it is the backslider. But we've got to be faithful. If we will be faithful to really preach the Word of God the way it's supposed to be preached, we are not going to produce false converts. And if somebody's backsliding, it'll bring them back. The problem is, is that people are now beginning to try to make it to where it's palpable. To where, okay, well this person, this may offend them, so let's present the gospel in a way that it won't offend them. It's not going to work. You're changing the gospel. The gospel is an offense. It is an offense. Because it goes against all the sin that's in people's lives. But people that will hear the true gospel and humble themselves and repent, they can be saved. But people, if you're changing the gospel to appease people, number one, you're perverting the gospel. Number two, it's not going to help them. Because the gospel they're accepting is a false gospel, and it's going to produce a false convert. So you're not helping anybody by being disloyal and unfaithful to the gospel. 
And Jesus taught about the seed and the sower, and he said some of it fell along the path and birds ate it up. That's demonic spirits stealing it. Some fell on rocky places. But he says some of it fell on good soil. Listen, it's not our responsibility. The Bible says God is the God of the harvest, the God of increase. We're just to be faithful preaching the gospel. Some people, With some people we sow the seed. With some people we water. But ultimately God brings the increase. And I'm concerned about what I see. One man, I love him. He actually has a pretty powerful ministry. But the way that they are presenting the gospel the way that they're going about presenting it, it's all about numbers to them. They're, you know, they're calculating it up and they talk about all these people, but I know how they're going about it. And I would say that there's a huge amount of them that are false converts, in my opinion. So what good is it going to do on Judgment Day? To stand up there and say, well, Lord, you know, and you give the Lord this big number, and then the Lord tells you, yeah, but about... You know, 60 to 75% of those people were false converts and they're not in heaven. What good is that going to do? I would rather, hear me, I would rather win one true convert than a thousand false any day. And this same individual was being really critical about a ministry that actually is preaching the true gospel and really putting it out there. And let me encourage you, be careful when you're preaching the gospel and you're witnessing to people, be careful to not try to manipulate them to pray a prayer with you and then tell them you're saved no matter what you do. Don't ever do that because God is the one, if they're born again, they will know it. The Bible says the Spirit of God bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And the Bible says that a born again experience is a supernatural thing that happens in you where you become a new creation. Somebody doesn't have to tell me I'm saved. And even if they tell me I'm not, I already know I am. Because the Spirit of God is more witness in me. It's not our job to try to, to, to preach a gospel that's going to make people comfortable. And then try to convince them how they need to try Jesus like a soda. And then, you know, and then come along and say, you know, you're saved no matter what you do. Because what they're doing is, is they're, they're putting people in a position where they're going to feel like that they're eternally secure. And then one day they're going to stand before the Lord. Matthew 7 is going to come to pass in their life. And they're going to be in hell the whole time thinking that they're a true Christian. The Apostle Paul never tried to convince people that they were saved. If you read it in Corinthians, he said this. He said, you test yourself and make sure that you are in the faith if you pass the test. And he was always trying to get people, you make sure that you are. But see, that offends people. I went to another country to preach the gospel. And, you know, I tell it like it is. And it was funny because this particular place, I'm not going to name it, this particular place we went had had us come, and it was Jeff and I. And the reason we came was because we were going on behalf of Steve Hill's ministry at the time. Okay, it was me and Jeff and a few people. So you're thinking, anybody that knows anything about Steve's ministry, I mean, he preaches it straight. I mean, it's a, it's a calling people to repentance, you know. And so that's, that's what we did. And it ticked them off. And I remember thinking, well, why did you have us in the first place? That's like, seriously, that's like having Rodney Howard Brown come and then somebody laughs and they get mad about it. It's like, well, what do you expect? Somebody's going to laugh. The Spirit of God's going to hit them that way. 
And you know who got mad? Listen, this is the important part. The sinners didn't get angry. The sinners came down by the hundreds to get right with God. The sinners didn't get upset. It was a couple religious Pharisees that were teachers in the Bible school that got offended and angry and were very loud against us. And there was even write-ups and some articles. <laughs> anyway, I need to move on. <laughs> but let me say this. I, I'm not going to stop preaching the Word. I don't care. It, it stirred a little hornet's nest in that country, but that's okay. But I'm going to tell you, I'm not going to stop. All right. Be careful to not yoke yourself together with, some, with a spirit of whoredoms or somebody or some organization that has a spirit of whoredoms about them. 2 Corinthians 6.14 says, Don't be yoked together with unbelievers. Okay, what, what, I'm sorry, for what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? What fellowship can light have in darkness? Even though this is talking about, I believe, a marriage situation, the principle is the same. You don't need to yoke yourself with somebody that's got a spirit of whoredoms. And let me give you examples. I would not remain at a church that allowed occult practices going on. I wouldn't. I would not remain at a church that allowed worldliness. If people were living worldly and it's being tolerated, it's being accepted by the leadership, and it's something that is a culturally accepted thing in that church, that they can be just like the world, and that's fine, and it's going to remain that way, I wouldn't remain at that church. And they need to read the Bible, okay, if they have a problem with what I'm saying. I wouldn't remain with a denomination that is ordaining practicing homosexuals. If I was in a denomination that started doing that, I would be literally leaving that denomination. This is not an exaggeration. My wife knows me. I would be out like the next day. I would write a letter, say, I love you guys. Be blessed. I'm out. I have nothing to do with you anymore. I'm not going to yoke myself with that. I'm not going to yoke myself and remain in a church that's embracing other religions. I'm talking about a spirit of whoredoms where churches now are trying to hold hands with, and we love them. I want them to be saved. But they're trying to hold hands with somebody that's a Buddhist and, and somebody that's a Muslim and all these other people, and we're all just going to worship together in our own way. That's, that's nonsense. And let me tell you, that's a danger, and it's producing end-time false converts, and it's a spirit of whoredoms, and people are being unfaithful to the Lord. And the second that that started going on, I would be out of there. I wouldn't remain at a church that were too cowardly to deal with sin in the camp. If there was sin in the camp, okay, let's say that somebody in leadership was, I'm just making this up, was having an adulterous affair with somebody and it became known. And the church leadership knows about it and they're not going to deal with it. They're too cowardly or whatever to deal with it. They're not going to deal with it. That is a spirit of whoredoms that is going to settle over that church. And you better move on someplace else because if leadership is going to let sin go on and they know about it and they're just going to wink at it, I'm telling you it's opening a door for things like a spirit of whoredoms. I would not remain with an organization that puts politics above principle. Let me give you a story to illustrate this. There was a man I know that um, is a missionary, is a very powerful man of God, works with an organization and he's down in the Mexico, South America area. And he was telling this story. This is straight from him. He said that where he's from in the States, he's from the South, like us. And he said that the South has a tendency to have a certain type of convictions about them in churches. He said that some of the missionaries that come, they come from different places in America. 
and maybe other places like Europe and different, they, they just have different convictions about them. And he said he understands that. And I agree with him, though, that I lean more toward conservative convictions. Okay? But with that said, there were some missionaries there that they have a, a little school set up. It's a Christian school so that the missionary kids can get an education. Okay? He comes in one day and he notices his little 10-year-old son is staring out the window intently. And so he goes over there to see what's going on. And there was two missionaries' wives okay, that were laying out in bikinis and had the top undone. They were laying down, but his son was sitting there gawking at them. And so he got angry about it. And he goes to the leadership of the organization and said, Look, I don't want my kid dealing with lust because these people are doing that. You know, there's, there's a place and a time. This is not the place nor the time church politics above principle. I'm about to give you an example. The leadership there realizes that the church that these people come from gives a lot of money to the organization. So they're not going to reprimand them. You hear what I'm saying? So these women get angry that he would even say anything. And this is very typical the way that it would be handled by a lot of people like that. They decide now they're going to go on a slander smear campaign against him. And so they go around spreading rumors about him that he's, I guess, some kind of pervert or whatever. And, you know, it's all him and that he shouldn't be that way. Well, God ended up intervening in the situation. And they ended up going through something. And it was proven that this individual was right in the first place and they should have listened to him. But do you see how church politics, some people will put politics above principle. And I promise you that grieves the Holy Spirit. Alright, I'm moving on from that. But let's, just closing out that we need to pray that God help us have faithfulness and loyalty to Him. I don't want to be somebody that puts politics above principle. I've seen churches where somebody that's a big tither or whatever, they won't deal with some stuff in their life because they're afraid to lose those finances. You know, if you really have faith in God, then what are you worried about money for? That person's not your source. God's your source. And I've se- I'm telling you, I've seen this. I was there. I remember one pastor was afraid to deal with somebody because he had so many relatives in the church. He knew that he would split the church tomorrow if he dealt with him. Listen, let him go. If they're going to be like that, listen, deal with the sin in the camp. Deal with things because you've got to be faithful and loyal to the Lord. Alright, so let me move into the glory. The glory of God is His manifest presence. Man, I want His presence in my life. Amen? I want to park here and then we're going to close with this. But I want to talk about the glory because just like you know, last night at the outcry, what is it that makes the outcry different than something else? What is it that makes it different? You know, you could go to, to a movie, watch a secular movie. You could go do different things. What is it that makes that place different? It's the presence of God. It's not entertainment. Who cares about the smoke and the lights and all that? Nobody there really cared about that. See, that didn't impress anybody. But whenever God's presence comes in, I mean, everybody's impacted. Healings take place. Demons flee. People have encounters with God. Their whole lives are changed. But it happens in His presence. 
God's presence is such an amazing, such an awesome, awesome thing. Once you have an encounter with God's presence, you become like an addict where you can't get enough of His presence. But let me just say this. Once you've really been touched by revival, you can never go back to church as usual. You just can't. Because you're different. Once you've been really touched by His presence, you can't go back to a life without it. So in Israel's history, I'm going to give you a warning, then we're going to go into how they got the glory. But Eli was a priest, and probably, I mean, he would have been considered, in my opinion, reading the scriptures, he would have been a judge of Israel. He was a priest. But Eli, they had the glory. He knew God's voice. He was familiar with the glory. And let me warn you to be careful to not get too familiar with the glory. Because when it becomes commonplace, you can really get in trouble. You really have to honor and respect the glory and cherish the glory and be careful with the glory. Because if it gets common and it's like, oh, well, yeah, the glory is here. And, and you get like that, pretty soon things start going on that can cause the glory to leave. Eli, the glory was there. He knew God's voice. He was a man of God. But he wouldn't deal with stuff. This is what I'm talking about earlier when I talked about leaders not dealing with stuff. He wouldn't deal with stuff. His sons, they were priests. His sons were having sex with people in the temple area, the tabernacle area. There were things that were going on that were abominations to God. And, and Eli knew it was an abomination to God. He knew he should deal with it and he would not deal with it. So God brought in a woman by the name of Hannah who prayed, Lord, if you give me a son, I'll give him back to you. She was barren, but she got pregnant. And she had a little boy by the name of Samuel. And Samuel, she, she honored God, what the promise she made to God, and she took him to the tabernacle to Eli and said, I'm giving him back to the Lord now. I'm giving him to you that, you, that he's going to serve the Lord because he's a gift from God. So Eli taught him, and, and Samuel would, would go to sleep as a little boy beside the ark, beside the glory of God. And God began to speak to him. And he didn't know God's voice, and so he thought it was Eli. He would hear God speaking to him, Samuel. And he would get up and he would go in there and, and say to Eli, what you say? Did you call me? And Eli said, I didn't say anything. Go to sleep. And finally, Samuel started learning the voice of God. He, he understood the glory. And God gave Samuel a prophetic word. And Eli told him, said, I want you to tell me what the Lord told you. And, and Samuel didn't want to tell him because it was bad. But he told Samuel, you're going to tell me. So Samuel said, God's going to judge you because you wouldn't deal with sin. You wouldn't deal with your sons. And because Eli would not deal with things, the ark was taken by the Philistines. The glory left. And Eli's sons were killed. He was killed. And God judged them. Which you got to understand, that same glory that we all want, and that same glory that will protect you, that same glory that will work with you, if you start allowing things to take place in that glory that are an abomination to God, that grieve the Holy Spirit, if you, if you don't repent and you keep on like Eli, that same glory will come back and start judging you. See, the Philistines were evil. 
and it was not very intelligent for them to steal the ark. That was not a smart move. And they stole the ark, and they go and they put it in their their demon god temple before Dagon, which I think, if I remember correctly, was this fish head demon god, arms out, and they set the ark in front of him. And they come in later, the priests come in, and Dagon, this big statue, had fallen on his face, and his arms broke off. And all the Philistines started getting sick, and God was causing them to have tumors. And so, the wise among the Philistines figured out, it's the God of the Israelites that's doing this to us. We took, we took his box, and he's mad. And so they said, we're going to give it back. And so they put it on a cart. Some donkeys in front, they put it on the cart, slapped the back end of the donkeys. There it goes into the camp of Israel, and they're standing back, you know, as it goes in. But see how the glory worked against the Philistines? See, it wasn't intelligent. They wanted to worship demon gods and live like they were living, but bring in the glory in that? No, the glory broke out judgment against them. There's some people out there, some churches that are like, oh, we're praying for revival. They have no idea what they're praying for. They have no idea what they're even talking about. They have no idea what revival really is. Revival, one of the things revival is, is a house cleaning. So that leads me to these points. Solomon dedicated the temple. You know the story, Moses built the tabernacle and and God dwelled there in the tabernacle, wherever it was. But David had it in his heart, he wanted to build a temple. And God allowed David's son to do it. David had saved up a lot of materials. But Solomon spent millions and millions of dollars building this elaborate temple. And when it was done, he, all these animals, that their blood was shed. It was, it was a very elaborate ceremony. And Solomon prayed. He dedicated that place as holy unto God. The blood was applied to that area. It was applied there by faith. Solomon dedicated it. He blessed it, prayed over it. And listen to what it said in 2 Chronicles 7.1. When Solomon finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices. And the glory of the Lord filled the temple. So the glory of God rested there in that place. The manifest presence of God. And the priest would go in and out of there. And they would burn incense. They would pray. They would do what God told them to do. Also, Moses, back in his time, this is how the priesthood began with Aaron, Exodus 29.44, God told Moses, I will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar and will consecrate Aaron and his sons to serve me as priest. Then I will dwell among the Israelites and be their God. So God had Moses consecrate a place for his glory. The altar speaks of for us as Christians, the taking of communion. But he consecrated a place, consecrated the altar, and consecrated Aaron and his sons as priests. And when he did, they were able to function and move in the glory. But I want you to notice this. God had to consecrate and make holy a place for his dwelling. He had to consecrate and make holy these priests to be able to minister in his glory. But Israel was unfaithful. 
God put his glory there, but they were not faithful with his glory. As a matter of fact, they kept backsliding through the years. One bad king after the next. The Israelites would worship one God after the other. And God became angry with the Israelites over time. He sent them prophets. He sent revival, if you will. Calling them unto repentance. And toward the end, he raised up a prophet by the name of Hosea. And he told Hosea, I want you to marry a prostitute woman. Because Israelite has prostituted themselves with me. I've been faithful to them, but they've been unfaithful to me. And you're my prophet. And I want you to marry a prostitute woman so that when Israel looks at you as a prophet, they're going to see you're faithful to her, but she's not faithful to you. And it's a sign to them. Now I want you to read Ezekiel's account. This is what I'm going to close with because I believe God's about to do a work in here in this place. I feel the anointing. But listen to Ezekiel chapter 8. In the sixth year, in the sixth month, on the fifth day, while I was sitting in my house and the elders of Judah were sitting before me. This is Ezekiel talking. The hand of the Sovereign Lord came upon me there. I looked and saw a figure like that of a man. From what appeared to be his waist down, he was like fire. And from there up, his appearance was bright as glowing metal. He stretched out what looked like a hand and took me by the hair of my head. The Spirit lifted me up between earth and heaven. And in visions of God, he took me to Jerusalem, to the entrance of the north gate of the inner court. This is the temple. The same temple that Solomon dedicated. The same temple where God's glory dwelled. And in this temple, there was an idol that provoked the Lord to jealousy. Can you believe that the Israelites would have the audacity in God's temple to bring in a demon god idol and put it in the temple? But they did. Then he said to me, Son of man, look toward the north. So I looked at the entrance of the north gate on the altar and I saw this idol of jealousy. Because the Lord is a jealous God. He won't share us with other idols and, and other things. He won't. And he said to me, Son of man, do you see what they are doing? The utterly detestable things the Israelites are doing here. Things that will drive me far from my sanctuary. I don't want the Lord to ever say there's something going on in River of Life that would drive him far from here. But you will see things that are even more detestable. Then he brought me to the entrance of the court and I looked and I saw a hole in the wall. This is in the temple. And he said to me, Son of man, now dig into this wall. So I dug into the wall and I saw a doorway there. And he said to me, Go in and see the wicked detestable things they are doing. So I went in and looked and I saw portrayed over all the walls all kinds of crawling things and unclean animals and idols of Israel. In front of them stood 70 elders of Israel. These are the leaders. And Joazaniah, son of Shaphan, was standing among them. Each had a censer in his hand, and a fragrant cloud of incense was rising. See, the priests were supposed to burn incense to God every day. They were actually taking God's incense and burning it to demon gods, to idols, in God's house, in his own temple. He said to me, Son of man, have you seen what the elders of Israel are doing in the darkness? See, they thought it was secret. Each at the shrine of his own idol, they say, the Lord does not see us. The Lord has forsaken the land. Again, he said, you will see them doing things that are even more detestable. Then he brought me to the entrance of the north gate of the house of the Lord. And I saw women sitting there mourning 
the God of Tammuz. And he said to me, Do you see this, son of man? You see these things that are even more detestable than this. He then brought me into the inner court of the house of the Lord. And there at the entrance of the temple between the portico and the altar were about, were about 25 men with their backs toward the temple of the Lord and their faces toward the east. And they were bowing down to the sun of the east. They were worshiping the sun god in the temple. He said to me, Have you seen this son of man? Is it a trivial matter for the people of Judah to do the detestable things they are doing? Must they also fill the land with violence and continually arouse my anger? Look at them putting a branch to their nose. This was a, an idolatrous thing they were doing. A superstitious thing. Therefore I will deal with them in my anger. I will not look on them with pity or spare them. Although they shout in my ears, I will not listen. But I want you to notice this in Ezekiel 10, 18. That was, that was chapter 8. Now it goes to 10. It says that Ezekiel saw the glory of the Lord departing from over the threshold of the temple and stopped at the cherubim. So the glory was in the process of leaving. Then you read in Ezekiel eleven twenty two, Then the cherubim with the wheels beside him spread their wings, and the glory of the God of Israel was above them. And the glory of the Lord went up from within the city and stopped above the mountains of the east of it. And the Spirit of God lifted me up and brought me to the exiles in Babylon in the vision. Ezekiel saw the glory leave. The same glory that came in when Solomon dedicated the temple. The same glory you read about where the priest couldn't even stand to minister. That glory was de gradually departing because they wouldn't repent. They wouldn't clean house. One of the things about revival I love is it cleans house. It clean We're the temple of the Holy Spirit. God will start with you and me. He cleans your house, but then He'll also clean out the house of God, the church. That's true revival. There's a house cleaning. And when, when things are right, when things are pure, the glory is there. But if you allow things to remain in there that are not supposed to remain in the house of God, the glory will lift. Now I want you to notice this. He said that where the, when the glory left, then he saw Babylon. What you've got to understand is when the glory lifts, you're vulnerable for satanic captivity. Did you get that? When, the, when you've had the glory, the glory protects you. The glory shields you. In fact, Paul talked about an armor of light. Have you ever thought about what that was? That has to be the glory. The Bible says the glory of the Lord is your rear guard. The glory is over us. Isaiah chapter 4 talks about the glory being a canopy of protection over you. The glory protects you. But when that glory leaves, you're vulnerable. There are people that one time had the glory in their life and the glory left and now they're in captivity to the enemy. There's churches, let me tell you something, there, and please hear me, there is nothing more dead, nothing more dead than a church that at one time had revival and had the glory and the glory left. There's nothing more dead. It's like Jude talked about twice dead, plucked up by the roots. There's something sterile there, and there's something from the enemy that is set over that place, and it is, it is oppressed. Because once the glory left, they're vulnerable, and now they're in captivity to something. And this is how I want to close, a deep cleansing of God's temple. First and foremost, we're the temple of the Holy Spirit. God wants us to be cleansed. 1 John 5.8 says, The Spirit, the water, and the blood, these three are in agreement. 
the blood of Jesus is the most powerful substance on the earth, in my opinion. So powerful. The blood of Jesus is so powerful that demons flee at the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus covers us as Christians. It protects us. The blood of Jesus is like a spiritual soap that washes all the uncleanliness off you and out of you. Makes you holy. I don't have time to talk on communion too much, but the blood of Jesus is applied by faith. In the Old Testament, at the Passover, when the death angel passed over, remember they put the blood on the doorpost? They would take a handful of hyssop, and it was like grabbing a handful of grass and making a paintbrush out of it, okay? But hyssop represents faith. And so they would take the blood of the lamb, like a paintbrush, and they would paint it on the doorpost of their home. And they were applying the blood by faith over their home. It's important that you hear me. Because we need the blood applied over our lives every day fresh. You need the blood over you and over your family. The blood of Jesus is so powerful that every morning Job, this was the blood of bulls and goats back in the days of Job. But Job every day would get up and he would shed the blood of an animal for his family. This was before Jesus, okay? How much more so... How much more powerful is the blood of Jesus? Okay, they just had a, something that they were looking to the future and it represented the blood of Jesus. And it was so powerful that every day Job would shed that blood for his family saying perhaps somebody sinned against God. So I'm going to get up every morning and I'm going I'm to deal with it. I'm going I'm to get it under the blood. That Satan came to God and God said, have you considered Job? And Satan said this in Job 1.9. He said, have you not put a hedge of protection around him, his family, and everything he owns so that I can't touch him. You know what put a hedge of protection around all of that was the blood. When the blood, and we have much more, a much greater covenant now in the blood of Jesus, but the blood of Jesus being over your life puts a hedge of protection around you and your family. And when you take the Lord's Supper, for example, you're applying the blood. But the blood is applied by faith. And the blood of Jesus brings a deep consecration in your life. The second thing is the power, the awesome power of water baptism. People have tried to do one of two things with water baptism. They've either tried to take water baptism and make it like you have to have that to go to heaven. Or they've tried to demean it and make it sound like it's nothing and it's irrelevant. Water baptism will not send you to heaven, but water baptism is powerful. It is powerful. In 1 Corinthians 10, it talks about how the children of Israel were baptized into Moses through the Red Sea. That same water that baptized them was the same water that closed behind them and destroyed their enemies. When people get water baptized, it helps to separate them from their past and destroy the enemies that are chasing them into their future. Water baptism is powerful. I've, seen, I've heard of people that have been deathly sick. One man had a, such a bad heart. He had multiple heart attacks. It was so bad that his extremities were actually turning black because of a lack of circulation. And actually Basil was telling me this story. That he came up to get water baptized. And Basil prayed. He actually fell out under the power. Was water baptized, came up. And was, it got, he went and sat down. He was totally healed. There's a power in water baptism. I've heard stories. I, in fact, I saw one. I could tell multiple stories. But uh, Brian Welch from Corn got saved. 
he gave a very public testimony. But he was telling about, he was showing it too, he was telling about how they were about to water baptize, I'm sorry, water baptize him, and he felt stuff moving around in him. He felt this demonic manifestation, and he felt real sick, and when they water baptized him and he came back up, he said he felt all of it leaving. He got, there was a deliverance. I've heard of so many people getting healed and set free, and the power of God hitting people when they take the Lord's Supper, the blood being applied. I've also heard the same thing about water baptism. There's power in these things. There's also awesome power in the anointing and the fire of God. When you anoint with oil, you anoint a person, a place, or a thing. You anoint it with oil and set it apart as holy unto God. There's a power in that. And see, the anointing and the fire of God, is there's a cleansing and a consecration in that. So I said that to show you how do you, how do you get cleansed for the glory to come in your life as an individual? How do you get your house clean? You apply the blood. Okay, You yourself make sure you're water baptized, but also the anointing with oil consecrates. And when I bought my house, we took communion here, you know, went through and put the blood over the doorpost, but we went through and anointed everything, prayed over it, blessed it, and it's a place where God's glory dwells. But I'm going to tell you, if you want the glory in your home, you're going to have to get rid of the things that grieve the Holy Spirit because you can't have both. I mean, if you're wanting to, to look at things that are pornographic and you're wanting to watch or have video games that are, that are demonic and, and these things in your life, and you want the glory there, but you also still want to keep this stuff, it's not going to work. The glory will leave. Not only will the glory leave, if the glory comes and God's at work and then you don't repent, it actually that glory can actually work against you. We all want the glory, but to go deeper in Christ and to go deeper in His glory, there's going to be things that maybe you were comfortable with yesterday that now you find the Holy Spirit saying, you can't be comfortable with that anymore and I'm going to start convicting you of that. And it may, it may be, I'm just saying hypothetically, it may be a TV show that you've been comfortable with up to this point. But now the Lord says, I'm taking you deeper in Christ. I'm going to increase my glory. And I'm increasing what I'm doing in your life. And you're going to have to give up some things to go deeper in me. And if you'll give it up and go with him, the glory will increase. And this is the last thing. We've got to be faithful to the Lord. 1 Corinthians six nineteen. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Whom you have received from God. You are not your own. 1 Corinthians 3.17 if anyone destroys God's temple, what's the temple of God? We are. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is sacred, and you are that temple. I remember hearing the story of an awesome, awesome prophet of God that lived years ago. I mean, amazing man of God. When he was a little child, God appeared to him. He actually was carrying a water bucket and the Lord appeared to him and there was a, a swirling wind in a tree. And the Lord spoke to him. It was kind of like a Moses burning bush experience. The Lord spoke to him and said, Son, do not defile your temple in any way. Don't drink. 
Don't smoke. Don't get involved in anything. Don't defile your temple in any way. Because when you get older, I have a work for you to do. And he said he sat there listening to that voice and he dropped his bucket and he ran home and hid under his bed. It scared him. He's just a little boy. But he ended up being an awesome man of God. We've got to keep our temple holy. What you're watching, what you're listening to, what you're doing can defile your temple. And not everybody is willing to go all the way with the Lord. But those that are, I'm telling you, the glory of God will come in your life. 1 Corinthians 5, 5, there was a, a church that there was sexual immorality in the church. And the Apostle Paul was angry. And he wrote back to that church and he said, Hand that man over to Satan so that the sinful nature may be destroyed and his spirit saved on the Lord's day. The Apostle Paul knew that you had to, to get out of God's house unrepentant sin and things that were defiling the church. Keep your temple holy unto God. Make the most of every opportunity. That's where I'm going to stop right there because I want to focus on that. Some of you tonight, you're listening to me. You want to be faithful to the Lord. You want to have a holy temple. And God wants to help you with that. But what I felt to share as we're going to pray is I wanted to talk about a spirit of rejection. And an orphan spirit. These spirits like rejection and orphan, they're real and they're powerful. And a lot of times these are, are smaller ones. And over them will be a strong man like Hortums, for example. Be a strong man. Before you can get this stuff out, you've got to deal with that strong man. And I believe through these sermons I've been doing last week and this week, I believe that some of these strong men are being bound. But I want to expose real fast a spirit of rejection, a spirit of whoredoms, I'm sorry, a spirit of rejection and an orphan spirit. And we're going to pray. And I believe God's going to set some people free. Number one, just check yourself about this. Do you see in your life a history of being rejected? Times when you shouldn't have been rejected, but you were rejecting, it was weird. You just kind of see a history in your life of rejection, like abandonment issues. Number two, do you see a history of maybe rejecting other people by pushing them away? Some people, they want to sit around and complain about being alone, but they push everybody away. Have you ever felt, here's another one, have you ever felt that you don't fit in anywhere? It's like everywhere you go, listen to me, you feel like you don't fit in. You feel like the odd person. You feel like everybody else gets along and they're real close and you're this oddball out here. It could be at work. It could be at school. Listen, some people are really tormented by this stuff. It's, it's really a tormenting spirit. Do you carry yourself in a way that seems to cause rejection? You don't even mean to. You'll sit at home and you'll think about something. You'll go, why did I even say that? I can't believe it came out of my mouth. Why? And it's like doing things unintentional. It just seems to be there. But carrying yourself in a way that seems to cause rejection in your life. Do you imagine others are rejecting you even though they're not? Like maybe you'll be in a room and, and people start laughing and you think they must be making fun of me. 
It's like this rejection mentality. Do you feel intimidated to be used by God? It's like you want to be used, but there's such an insecurity there that it's very intimidating to really step out and be used by God. Have you ever felt in your life that God Himself was rejecting you? Like maybe, well, God will answer other people's prayers, but probably not mine. God really loves so-and-so, but, you know, I don't know if He does really love me. Or, And it's like this rejection thing, you feel rejected by God. Do you still carry wounds from past rejections and betrayals that happened years ago? But it's still hard to talk about. It's a wound. And if somebody brings it up in conversation, it's a real sore area. Do you think from a rejection mentality? And do you talk from a rejection mentality? Or do you feel a need to try to prove yourself all the time or to be noticed? It's like you you know in your heart you feel like, well, I'm going to be rejected, so I really need to prove myself and make myself noticed to prove my worth. These are signs that there's a spirit of rejection, maybe an orphan spirit there. And we've been dealing with, for the last while, we've been dealing with strong men, and I've seen so many people get free from so many things. But a spirit of rejection in an orphan spirit is serious, and linked to that, a lot of times you have linked to that things that cause health problems or things that cause other issues. See, usually demonic health problems are not by themselves. There's a reason. And there's other things that are there working with that health problem. There's other things that are working with that spirit of infirmity. And a lot of times it'll be something like a spirit of rejection and a spirit of infirmity that are working together in a person's life. And every time God wants to set them free from infirmity, they feel rejected about something. And they get all bent out of shape and it reinforces that stronghold in them. And also there can be a strong man over that, like a spirit of whoredoms that's there. And until you deal with that strong man. Do you remember how when the, when the Twin Towers were hit and then that thing came just crumbling down? When you hit the strong man, things are just going to crumble. But you have to hit the strong man. If you don't, you can keep rebuking those little ones all day long, but they're not budging until you bind that strong man. So what I want to do is I'm going to pray with you. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. Those that are watching online, those that are listening to this or watching this, I'm going to pray with you. And God's about to break this. Okay, This is a, a sovereign time where over the last while we've been dealing with strong men. And I believe that strong men have been bound to where you have an opportunity to get free. But let me just tell you this. If you really want to be free, you're going to have to change the way you think. If you leave out of here and you keep entertaining rejection thoughts all the time, speaking rejection and push everybody away and you, you've got this, this little rejection thing about you and, and you keep going about those same patterns, you're just going to open the door for that stuff to come back. I mean, there's going to have to be a change. Some people, 
live, and I feel this is for somebody, some people, they have a poverty mentality. And because they have a poverty mentality, they have poverty in their finances. If you live thinking poverty thoughts and speak in poverty, then don't be surprised that there's a spirit of poverty and there's lack. As a Christian, you got to think different. you got to think that my Heavenly Father has wealth and abundance. And the Bible says He'll supply all my needs according to His riches and glory. And when you change the way you think, change the way you speak, and your faith starts coming, it'll break the back of a spirit of poverty and it'll start bringing abundance in your life. Okay, You see how these strongholds of the mind play into the quality of your life? That's why the Bible says, I pray you be in health and prosper as your soul prospers. Your soul's got to prosper. Your soul, you have to change the way you think from old rejected mentalities, poverty mentalities, lack mentalities, fearful mentalities, and get all those old patterns of thinking out of you and start thinking different like Pastor Jeff was talking about last night. He was saying that orphan mentality, the way an orphan carries themselves, you've got to get rid of that and change those patterns. But anyway, I want everybody to pray this with me. Jesus, I thank you. All who call upon your name will be saved. And that word saved means healed and delivered. And I thank you that you became a curse for me. So that I can be free from Satan's influence. And right now I ask forgiveness in my life and even my ancestors for allowing rejection to be a part of our lives. Thinking rejected thoughts, imagining rejection, speaking rejection, Rejecting other people by pushing people away. All that rejection mentality. I repent. Forgive me, Lord, for an orphan spirit. A feeling like I don't fit in. Like a misfit. Somebody that's an oddball. When you have said about me that I'm your child and you love me and I'm accepted, forgive me for not believing that. And even having a poverty mentality, a fearful mentality, not believing your word, but expecting negative. Forgive me for that. I repent of these things now. And I ask you to set me free. And I take authority right now. Over the enemy. And I destroy. Every work of the devil. That's been in my life. Strongholds. Yokes. Bondages. Curses. I break them now off me and my family, 
my health, my finances, my minds, my emotions. I command every spirit of the devil. You're going to leave my life right now in Jesus' name. Rejection, orphan, poverty, and every other spirit. I break your power in Jesus' name. Now let me pray for you guys who agree with me. Father, I pray right now that these spirits that have been oppressing people in the soul area or whatever, I bind them right now and I command that what you're going to do in the sound of my voice, those spirits, you are going to repair any damage you've caused their lives right now. You're going to restore what you've stolen from them. Sevenfold. The Bible clearly says a thief must restore sevenfold when he's caught. Anything you put in their life, sickness, whatever it is, you're going to take it out of them when you leave. And any disorders you've created, it's going to be put back in order. And you're going to do this as quick as you can. Then you're going to go straight into the abyss. You're not going to go into somebody else's life. And Father, we speak right now that any ties to a strong man that they've had, Father, we sever that right now. Lord, we break their power. Whatever has empowered them, whatever has given them strength, whatever it is, Father, I destroy those curses and works of the devil right now. And seriously, I feel this happening. I break the power of the devil off people's lives. Some of you have been oppressed by rejection, and it's leaving right now in Jesus' name. You've been oppressed by an orphan spirit, and it's leaving now. Poverty and lack is broken. There's been a curse of poverty, but I break it, and it's lifting off your life. And that spirit of poverty is leaving in Jesus' name.